Do you ever dream up a great new idea for a business or maybe another project and it all sounds so great in your mind, but then you screech to a halt because you realize you just don't know where to start? I know I hear this from my students all the time. Kelly, there are so many things to think about here. I just don't know where to start. And yes, This comes often from people who are at the beginning phases of starting their businesses, but really it can come up at any stage of business. I mean, if we're doing entrepreneurship right, we are always learning and growing and changing right along with trends and customer demands, right? The thing is, there are so many things that we should be doing, at least that we think we should be doing. I mean, social media alone can send anyone into a tailspin. Should you focus on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or live streaming? And then there's copywriting and brand guidelines and product development. And I could go on and on. But the point is, you guys, I know the list can seem absolutely endless. And this is why my friend Renee Warren has started her recent venture to help female entrepreneurs navigate these uncertain and often overwhelming waters of starting their own businesses and helping them to find their way and stand out in what often feels like an oversaturated market. On today's episode of the Workshop Weekly Podcast, Renee is going to dive deep with us on how you can successfully launch the business of your dreams and stand out in a noisy space. Or maybe you've already launched your business, but you're feeling like your business could use a little reset. Well, friend, if either of these scenarios describes where you're at, you are in exactly the right place here today. You gotta hear what Renee has to say. You're listening to the Workshop Weekly Podcast, the show where no dream is too big and no topic is too small. Around here, we believe that taking imperfect action rules. So we're creating space for you to dive in and fast track your success one workshop at a time. Now, refill your coffee cup, grab your notebook, and get ready to join in on your weekly training, listen to meaningful conversation, and learn from industry experts. Here's your host, Kelly Lawson. Hello, Renee. Welcome to the show. I am so excited to have you here today. I am still giggling because you have a great tagline for your podcast. What is it, Kelly? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I have to tell you this. A really close friend of mine said, when I told him I was starting a podcast, he said, I have a really, really great idea for what you could call your podcast. He's like, you can take it because I won't be able to use it. And I'm like, okay, leaning in. Like, this is like a close friend who's like an English professor, like really smart, thoughtful guy. And he's like, the See You Next Tuesday podcast. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I thought about it because I was like, that is catchy. Nobody would ever forget it. But anyway, here we are. Then you'd be held accountable to publishing every Tuesday. That's a good point. And you know how I can be with those things. So (laughs) Renee is a good friend of mine. I feel like we could sit here and talk for ages about all of the things. But I know you as the boss babe entrepreneur that you are, and I know so many people know you because you're the amazing human behind We Wild Women, but why don't you introduce yourself in your own words? Tell us who Renee Warren is and how your life journey brought you to this very place on my podcast that's called The Workshop Weekly. The Workshop Weekly is a great name. Well, thanks for having me anyway. And happy belated birthday. At the time of this recording, you just celebrated a very young birthday. Yes. Um, (laughs) No, so I am a six foot tall Canadian chocolate addict, Reiki practitioner, author, 
mom to Irish twins, and award-winning entrepreneur. But I didn't get that way overnight. I started as being an entrepreneur when I was young. I made jewelry with my sister. We called it Mijou. So the French word for jewelry is Bijou, and her name is Michelle. So we put the two together and named our jewelry company Mijou. And we sold our stuff at markets in my hometown. Then I graduated high school. Actually, just before graduating high school, I started operating a restaurant in my hometown. I did that for four years. It was a seasonal gig, but it paid the bills in a sense that I graduated university without any debts. So I've pretty much been debt-free my entire life. That was, I guess, the good money mindset trick my parents taught me about money, which I thank them forever for that. But really, my story in terms of like my leaps and bounds into successful entrepreneurship started with my previous, previous company called Onboardly. It was a PR agency, and we worked with funded technology startups from South Africa to San Diego. Amazing. Yeah, we helped them get the media attention they deserve. I had a great team, a great business partner. Things were awesome. But the big catch in all of that was that we launched that agency when I was eight months pregnant with my first son. And after he was born, we grew the business and I welcomed my second son only 11 months later. So two babies in one year. In that time, we also moved twice. My husband, he got his startup acquired and he was in the process of raising around for his second startup. So two babies, two businesses, two moves, two years. It was hectic. Everything is coming in twos for you. So I remember actually we sat down to dinner. We were having um, butter chicken when you and Dan told us that you were pregnant with Max. And then I remember he was just a brand new baby and we were sitting down to butter chicken in our dining room. And you guys said, we have something to tell you. And we're like, oh, what could that possibly be? And you're holding like your infant boy. And you're like, we're pregnant again. <laughs> and so it was like the butter chicken times two. I love it so much. Oh, don't scare me. We had butter chicken the other night. <laughs> and <laughs> honestly, I think it was the last, the last time we had it since we've been with you. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, we weren't there. So you need the exactly. the elder complete. So you're okay. Um, I would love to know like a little bit more about what these beginning stages looked like for you starting your business with all of this on your hands. Well, the funny thing is that I didn't really know any different. So when we tell people that our boys are 11 months apart, they say, you're crazy. And we didn't really do it on purpose. We were just so fortunate that, you know, we didn't have any issues. And I'm so thankful for that because I have tons of friends that had infertility issues. But that being said, it wasn't planned. It just happened. And we don't know it any other way. Quite frankly, in our instance, I think we had it better because we just had one big long phase in terms of like, you know, breastfeeding and diapers and all that stuff. Business-wise, we had such a great support network. Like We had people like you and my incredibly amazing, awesome director of PR, Crystal, who you know, is a good friend of yours as mm-hmm. well. Like The way I see it is like when I had my first son, because it was at the beginning stages of the business, it's almost like we all had him together. We were Mm -hmm. all in this together. I was very open about expectations, about what I was going to do, how I might feel. And the team was so supportive. 
So it was small and mostly women. So I feel like we could get away with a lot of like BS women stuff. But, you know, having a great business partner too at the time allowed me to step back a little bit. Realistically, I took maybe a week off, (laughs) but that was my choosing and still grow the business. And the big thing in all of this and the biggest lesson learned was that communication is the key. It's like you set the expectation and just talk to your team. So for me, having those two two babies, yes, it was it was a lot. And I said, there's going to be days when I'm a mess. I'm not thinking straight. I'm tired. Please don't take any of this personally. It's because I have newborns at home and I'm trying to grow this business. But the other luxury in all of this too was that my husband is an entrepreneur. So he had a flexible schedule as well. However, he traveled a lot. <laughs> so for us, it was just a lot of planning. It was a lot of time blocking. It was a lot of knowing what we needed and asking for help. Mm-hmm. I love that, asking for help. So in hindsight, now you started on Boardly. This is the PR business that you're talking about. And now you've evolved into your new venture, which is We Wild Women. Is there anything now that, I mean, you're a seasoned entrepreneur, so you've been through this a number of times. Is there anything that you would have done differently in those days? Probably. <laughs> I, I'd have to think hard. Yes, I've made some terrible big business mistakes, some that were very costly, some that also were like more so hard on, my, on myself and my nerves and my patience and me emotionally. And I could like pinpoint back to it all really stemmed around, unfortunately, it was around hiring and recruiting and HR issues. When they say fire fast, hire slow, they really mean it. And I held on to one particular employee for way too long to the point that it was so detrimental to my business because she bullied people to the point that they quit. I didn't see Mm -hmm. it. I didn't know this was happening because nobody on my team was telling me. They were afraid to tell me because they thought that I liked her and she was senior. I think that goes back to like, you know, when I say communication is key, that's the part that was missing in that equation. And I am such a a person of harmony and compassion and I feel bad for people if they're going through issues in this one particular employee was always the victim. And I did everything to make her happy because when she was on, she was on fire. She was a great employee. She was smart. She was organized, older than me with more experience in the agency space. So I thought she'd be a great leader within the industry. Turns out she wasn't. And as much grace as I gave her, it actually turned around to kind of bite me in the butt. Yeah. And so I'm a heartfelt leader. I lead with my heart. I learned my lesson. Now I know that my intuition and my gut needs to speak louder than my head and my heart. I want to interrupt for a quick sec to tell you about a product that I've recently come across. I have never been a fan of wearing pantyhose. Most of the time after one wash, they would pill and tear. And honestly, it always just felt like an enormous waste of money to own them. Then came Sheertex. The strongest pantyhose in the world delivered right to my door in the cutest little box. Their fibers don't exist anywhere else on the market. They actually miniaturize the fibers used in bulletproof vests 
dress to create a knit just as strong as the people who wear them. You basically have to be Hulk to rip these things. And they have quickly converted me into a person that raves endlessly about my shears. I don't want you to miss out. So head over to kellylawson.ca slash sheertex, S-H-E-E-R-T-E-X, and use the code KellySLawson10 to save 10% on your new pair of shears today. I want you to share with my listeners how to successfully launch the business of your dreams. I know that that's kind of the sentiment behind We Wild Women is building a community for women who are either the beginning stages of starting a business or maybe in a pivot phase or something like that. And this all aligns really well with my listeners as well. I think a lot of them are in a similar capacity right now, potentially in side hustle mode or thinking about starting a side hustle or think about evolving a side hustle. So I would love it If you could take a few minutes to give your best advice to my listeners who are thinking about starting or launching their dream businesses, what would that advice be if you could lay it out for them? For first-time entrepreneurs especially, absolutely, it is customer and market validation. It is going out and and, and first of all, it's constructing who your ideal customer is. You have to know that person. Yes, it'll evolve over time and you'll probably have more than one eventually. But knowing who it is you're serving, everything you do in every waking moment is to serve that person. Then take your idea and take that person and find multiple people just like that and validate the idea. So there's different ways of doing that. When you're first starting out, there's market validation, which is seeing if the market really wants it. And then there's customer validation, seeing if your ideal customer wants it. And when I say wants it, it means will they give you money for it? Mm Because a business without money is a hobby. A business without profits is a hobby. You need to be making money. That's kind of why you're doing this. And then the last one is a problem solution validation. Just making sure that you're continuously solving a problem, which is typically one of two things. You're either saving somebody time or money, whatever it is that you're doing, and they consistently want to uh, keep buying from you. I love it. I have a an episode on honing in on your ideal customer. I just can't remember what the exact (laughs) episode number is right now, but I will add that to the show notes for this for sure. So, okay. So customer and market validation, a super important first step. So I feel like listeners who are new kind of in the, to the entrepreneurship sphere may hear those words and think like, holy smokes. Okay. I think I kind of get it, but what does it sound like and look like and feel like, what are some tactical things that listeners could do to move toward customer and market validation with their business or their business idea? It's about being really scrappy. There's no (laughs) pretty way of doing this. And the last thing I would tell anybody is to spend money on this. So an easy way to validate, so say you understand who your, your target customer is, you make a list of 10 questions and there's very specific questions. So I did my undergrad in sociology and my thesis in sociology. So I understand qualitative and quantitative interviews and doing that, those type of surveys. So there's a lot that goes into it, but you can actually Google it or you can email me and I can give you my PDF. But when you find those like five to 10 to 20 customers, you're going to interview them. You're going to either get face-to-face or jump on a Zoom call or some sort of a phone call to talk to them, to ask them these questions. And essentially what you need to do is, like, if you can decipher the one 
specific thing that your product or service does, the problem that it solves for that customer, you have to go back and kind of flip the question to say like, for me, I needed to know for all my entrepreneurial female friends, I wanted to know what was the biggest problem they faced when they first started their business. Because I needed to tap into the psyche to understand, okay, what was the one thing? Or there, is there a pattern that comes up after having all of these discussions? And there's two things that came to light. For me, I found out that most women face imposter syndrome. They're like, I don't feel like I'm the person to be doing this. So why would anybody buy from me? I feel like mm-hmm. we feel like this all the time. The other answer was, I just don't know where to start. I don't know what my first step is. Like, what am I supposed to do now? And then after that, and then after that, because Mm. depending on your industry too, there's specific ways of doing things, but for the most part, it follows the sequence. So I found out, okay, imposter syndrome and don't know where to start. Perfect. So I developed my entire program called the Profit Foundation Framework around those two things, helping people with entrepreneurial mindset issues and showing them exactly step-by-step how to start a business. And I'm not talking about like, grow your Instagram following, which is great, but that's not how you start your business. There's so many other things you need to do before that, that people get wrong and they waste so much time on that. So we're kind of mitigating the risk of them losing time and money by really understanding the core problems of your ideal customer. I love that. Would you be willing to walk us through a few of those steps that you just talked about? Yeah. So the first one, as I alluded to, (laughs) is customer validation. So in my program, I go through a detailed version of understanding who your ideal customer is. I would Mm -hmm. say about 20% of the people I work with have an idea. Most people are like, I have a million ideal customers. And I'm like, that's great. But the riches and the niches. So if you're not actually digging down and really, really understanding who that person is, you're going to lose out. And so you define the ideal customer. And like I said, it could change. You come up with some sort of understanding of what it is that you're doing, your product or service. You come up with some sort of messaging around it and a quick little pitch. However, you don't use that pitch during the customer validation phase. So not to get too technical, but there's a lot of stuff that kind of happens in between all of this as well. So you come up with your your product service and name for it define your ideal customer, then you do customer validation interviews. And then that's when you jump on a call an hour long, you're asking these questions, all open-ended questions and not leading questions. You barely at all talk about your product or service because what you're trying to uncover is if this is your customer and if it is, you have a solution for them, but you're not pitching them. Mm-hmm. The end of those interviews when you're wrapping up, that's when you can say something like, thank you very much for your time. Now that I've understood a little bit about your issues, I want to tell you about what I'm working on. And based on what I tell you, I'd love to know, like, is this something you would pay for? And then mm-hmm. you tell them a little bit about it and they say, okay, yeah. And then you ask them, well, how much would you pay for this? Right? So like at this point now, they're so emotional about the position they were in at the beginning of these issues that they'll be like, oh, I would definitely pay like 50 bucks a month or, you know, that's a $2,000 definite investment for me. And so when you start getting more validation and start tweaking your, your offering, whether it's a service or product, that's when you can start selling it. 
So again, it's very specific to the industry, but we'll say like you're a service-based business, you're a creative, then it's like validating the customer. And we'll say like you're a photographer because Kelly, you're a photographer and there's a lot of competition in this space. However, you can do very, very well, like you've done because Mm -hmm. you've created the niche, you understand your core customer, but then you also have like your own unique way of doing it. A lot of people talk to me about how many competitors there are in this space because they spend so much time doing market research on their competitors. Now, all of a sudden, they're visiting all of their competitors' websites, understanding how they're you know, messaging and their product service offering because what's happening at the same time is they're getting targeted. So those cute little Facebook pixels that those people download or put on their website. And all of a sudden, when you scroll on over to Facebook or Instagram, you're getting targeted by all of your competitors. (laughs) So Uh that makes you believe, oh God, everybody in the world is doing this. But Uh the reality is, is there's probably a lot of people thinking about it, but most people aren't doing it. Can you count on one hand how many cosmetics companies there are in the world? No. It's like a something like $424 billion industry. Because mm-hmm. people want it. They want something new. They want a lipstick that is made in Canada by somebody who uses only vegan products from the Maritimes. There's probably somebody that sells that. But <laughs> they're not going to be looking at the L'Oreal's of the world or the Maybellines thinking, I want that distribution today. Mm-hmm. No. So when you start understanding the core problems of your customer, which takes a long time, by the way, then you can start assessing whether or not the thing that you're thinking about doing makes sense. It'll make you money. And if it does, what does that mean for that customer? Mm -hmm. So I have a question because I think, especially as women, we have this need to be nice or maybe to say to the person what we think they want to hear. So when we're in these ideal client interview sessions or these market validation interview sessions, how can we be sure if they say, okay, I love your product. I love what you're selling. I would pay $1,000 for that. How can we be sure that they're telling us the truth? Well, yeah, there's a lot of bias too. And that's why, you know, your first five to 10 interviews can be with people you know, but you need to be jumping on phone calls with people you don't know. The way that I found those people were in my Facebook groups. So I have probably an active member of about four or five of them that I would say are competitors to We Wild Women. And I would just go through and see people that were having like the right tone in terms of their comments or they were asking the right questions. And I would just direct message them and just be honest saying, hey, my name's Renee. I'm in the process of validating my business idea. And I'm talking to female entrepreneurs like yourself about their first time journey into entrepreneurship. I was wondering if I could get some of your time and then set up a phone call. Now, the key is, is to not offer anything in return because what you're doing then, if you're saying, I'll pay you or I'll give you an Amazon card, immediately sets the bias because then they're going to want to be nice about the conversation because they're getting something in return. The reality is, is most people want to help and a smart entrepreneur that has time and wants to give back will give you that time. Some people won't, some people don't even reply or some people are, are mean, that's okay. <laughs> but yeah, and, and I get it. It's that people want to be nice, especially women. And you have to understand that, you know, probably 60% of what they say is going to be the truth. They might bloat the truth on other occasions, but then they could say things just to be nice because they're nice people. 
I used to feel like I lived in a perpetual Groundhog Day. Every Sunday, I would need to sit down and take time to think about what I would cook for the week, make a list of what groceries I would need to buy, and then go spend hours at the grocery store collecting the ingredients, sometimes needing to visit two or three places to find everything I needed. And still, we felt like we were eating the same meals over and over. Enter HelloFresh. The meals are pre-planned, the groceries are gathered, and everything I need to prepare delicious meals for my family is dropped off at my door once per week. We are discovering new delicious recipes every week. I am getting the hours of meal prep time back. There is no food waste. And best of all, every meal can be prepared in just 30 minutes. Visit kellylawson.ca slash HelloFresh to check out some of my favorite meals and save $40 on your first box. That's kellylawson.ca slash HelloFresh. What are the types of things that we can be doing once we've kind of passed that point? We're like, okay, we're pretty comfortable with the validation process. I think people want to buy my product or service. So I'm ready. I'm going to put it out there. How do you recommend doing that? Well, first of all, I don't ever recommend stopping the validation process. As you grow your business, things change, markets change, people's opinions change too. So, you know, if you're launching a new feature or a new service, you still need to be doing the work to validate those ideas. If you think about like, and I use this as an example, but it's very vague, but Coca-Cola, you think about how many different Coke products were launched and how many flopped. It makes me question them. It's like, did they actually do the customer validation that was required for that? So maybe people did want it, but like, what's the difference between Coke Zero and Diet Coke? I don't know. You know, one tastes more flat than the other, but, you know, is it going to really help drive the bottom line? I don't know. So after you do the customer validation interviews, you start actually selling your product. So don't have to be fancy. So again, if the example is going to be like an online creative, maybe a designer or somebody is putting up an okay website, doesn't have to be perfect, and then just start doing scrappy things to get people to your website or to get people to buy from you. Okay. So for me, for instance, I still haven't launched my official program, but I do masterminds and one-on-one coaching. And in what I'm trying to do to validate the content for my profit foundation framework is I've offered free workshops. So I went to, you know, a couple local organizations and they said, yeah, we would love for you to do like two or three or four hour workshops to our people. Now those people happen to be my ideal customer. Mm -hmm. So I am asking them to use their list to put me in front of their customers so that I can teach them. Well, guess what happens? Now my mastermind's full. Now I have more coaching clients and now I have more people giving me any sort of indication as to what should be included in my profit foundation framework. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a cycle. And on top of that, some of these organizations are actually, many of them are paying for my time to actually teach their customers. Mm -hmm. And so if this means like, if you're a photographer and Kel, you might have different advice because you're in this space, but it might mean, you know, offering super cheap, options to, if you want to become a wedding photographer, then offering super cheap options to like your friends or relatives that are getting married in exchange for them sharing those photos publicly, right? Like you don't, you don't start out coaching by charging $5,000 an hour if you haven't actually created the credibility. Mm -hmm. So you have to create the credibility and it means putting yourself out there. It means 
whatever industry you're in, it's like getting on podcasts or reading all the books. It's getting, it's just reaching out, growing your network. That is huge. Like no successful entrepreneur I know has been successful without people, (laughs) without their network. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And a nice, safe place to test things out, right? With family and friends and asking them to be honest before you push it out into the global world or whatever that looks like for each individual listener. It's a nice, safe environment to test it out. And I remember learning about lean methodology mm-hmm. a few years ago and thinking, that sounds comfy cozy to me because it's not that I don't like to take risk, but I certainly like to mitigate it where I can. And if there's any opportunity to sort of beta test something before you're giving it to the masses, that's a nice safe place to do any course correction. So I think that's like the best advice for anybody starting a business is like find a safe place, test it out, work out whatever kinks you can, because there will always be kinks, but work out the big ones and then push it out to the world. I love that. And to add to that too, it's a pre-launch so if you're launching a digital course or if you're you know, publishing a planner, whatever it is, is pre-sell. Sorry, I said pre-launch, but I meant pre-sell those spots because it's also a form of validation. And I know if anybody's ever done any of Amy Porterfield's work, she argues the same thing. What's the point in creating this $20,000 course if nobody's going to want to buy it? So yes, you've done the customer validation, but now you have to do the product validation. Mm-hmm. And so you're gaining not only exposure, but the interest. Are people actually willing to pay for this product? So now you have this real thing, this tangible thing that you're going to put out there. You've done the work, but you know now's the test. Are people actually going to buy this? Mm-hmm. And it's a way to prevent getting too invested in something that you believe is a good idea and then wasting your own time, energy, resources, and money. I mean, that's just a really great and smart way to proceed with anything, in my opinion, in life. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I love that. People, like entrepreneurs especially, we're all somewhat married to our ideas. We get so emotionally invested into these things that we've created that we will find any means, any sign to validate it. So it's our own confirmation bias. So please be wary of that as well. For me, I made a mistake on my last company, Family Academy, in launching a physical product that I thought everybody wanted because they told me they wanted it, but they didn't really. Once I got to the point of I I manufactured these things, I spent thousands of dollars on it, ended up breaking even, but it was such a waste of time for me. I could speak ad nauseum about that, but what I failed to do was to actually pre-sell the product as the physical form. So if you've ever printed anything overseas, you always get like the sample thing, which is a great product to use for any photo shoots and whatnot. So it's easy way of pre-selling. I didn't do that. So I spent, you know, a hundred bucks to get the sample box with all of the goods that go in it. And I could have used that to pre-sell and I didn't. So I ended up shipping like 300 of these things. There's still some sitting in my garage. (laughs) But people just didn't really want it. And my mistake was in the confirmation bias. I was only looking at the things that were telling me it was a good idea because I was already emotionally invested. I was ignoring the things that were saying, don't do that, Renee, don't do it. And my gut was one of them. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So if you had your time back now, you would have taken that one sample and photographed it and you you would have set up your online shop and and, and pre-sold it to see if anybody actually wanted it. Is that what you're saying? Exactly, yes. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so that's another way to get around <laughs> the people who are just saying nice things to you, right? Exactly. Is like just put the product out there and ask them to actually give the money instead of right. just saying, hey, yes, I'd give you my money because those are, to be fair, those are two very different things. Like saying that you'll part with your money and then actually parting with your money, mm-hmm. two completely different things. Mm-hmm. So you were talking earlier about building your network and basically how there is no successful entrepreneur on planet Earth that doesn't have people in a network. And, and in order to, to build and have that, you really need to put yourself out there. And I think for a lot of listeners, that's kind of an uncomfortable territory, right? Like you're putting yourself out there, you're taking some risk, like you're risking embarrassing yourself, you're risking it failing publicly and all of these things. And you're also sticking your neck out for criticism. Do you have any advice around how to deal with those types of things? I always say provide value, just give value. And Rachel Hollis, if anybody here is a fan, I'm a huge fan. She says, like, when you're first starting out, it's like, yes, she stood on so many stages for free. She wrote something like eight books before she launched Girl, Wash Your Face or Girl, Stop Apologizing. I don't know which book it was, but it was like, just give value. If it means it's free and nobody knows who you are and you're trying to establish credibility, then do it. Speak for free, offer your service for free, get out there. You know, but in exchange, just ask for more referrals. I think the number one thing in growing your network is providing value, giving back. And yes, there's people that are going to offer like their unsolicited advice. They're going to critique you. They're going to be mean. I've had some terrible things said about me. And, you know, it's just part of the entrepreneurial experience. You grow a backbone, you go home, you cry, you let it go. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Easier said than done, but let me tell you, I've shed many, many tears. Mm -hmm. I feel that too. It was a really unnatural transition for me to start to kind of share more of my personal self online, but I knew that it was a really necessary thing to do if I wanted to reach people outside of my network or outside of my word of mouth Mm -hmm. network. And it is a tricky thing because as soon as you do that, yes, you're going to generate people who love you and want what you're selling. But the other side of that, and I guess especially if you're doing it well, is that you're going to generate people who feel the complete opposite toward you and toward what you're putting out, no matter what it is or how wonderful you think it is. And it's definitely a tough one to deal with. I've definitely had a few glasses of wine over it myself (laughs) or maybe a bottle. (laughs) You just kind of have to tuck that away and stay focused, right? Like just keep your eye on who's supporting you and Mm -hmm. just know that you're doing something right if you have people that love you and people that hate you. (laughs) Well, two things here. First of all, the people that are going to say crap about you you kind of have to have a heart for them because they're going through something. So mm-hmm. what I've learned in the last few years is when somebody says something to me that is so insensitive and undeserving, I just say, I'm sorry. They're like, what? Yeah. It's like I mean, the fact that you're so caught up in this over something I may have said or for nothing at all, they're going through something and they're projecting, mm-hmm. right? And the other thing too is that anybody who's doing anything better than you are not going to criticize you. So, you know, the more successful people aren't going to look back on, like, Tony Robbins isn't going to look back on me and be like, oh, Renee, whatever. He doesn't have the time. He doesn't have the capacity. He doesn't know who I am. And he, quite frankly, doesn't care. So Mm -hmm. the people who might say crap about you are the jealous people. There's a lot of, like, close friends and family. They want to see you successful. They don't want to see you fail. They worry about you if you're going to take the chance in being an entrepreneur. But for the most part, people that say bad things about you are either suffering themselves or they're jealous because you're achieving something they've always dreamed of. 
Have you guys seen my new website? It's pretty gorgeous. And if I know you, you're probably feeling like your website isn't as good as you'd like it to be, and you're struggling a little to find the perfect solution. Well, my friend, I have some advice for you. Get a tonic site. Until I discovered tonic, I was on that struggle bus too. And my tonic site has forever changed the way I show up online and in my business. Tonic sites are completely customizable, they're code-free, and built with all the best marketing strategies in mind. It's time for you to have a site that looks just as good and probably even better than others in your industry so you can finally stand out in a way that's perfectly unique to you. And today, I'm giving you that extra little nudge that I think you've been waiting for. Save 15%, that's up to $200 on your new site. Just go to kellylawson.ca slash tonic site to find your perfect site and use the code Kelly Lawson to save 15% on your gorgeous new site today. Let's talk a little bit about mindset. Do you believe it plays an important role in entrepreneurship and starting a business? It's the most important. (laughs) It is (laughs) the most important asset or skill set to have. It's actually the first thing I do when I start my program with my mastermind or my uh, coaching customers is we talk about mindset and they're like, no, 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 we want to get to like the business stuff. I was like, no, because here's the thing. If you're not developing that muscle, then you can't succeed as a small business owner or an entrepreneur. It is hands down the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Do you have any tangible advice for folks who might be thinking like, yeah, I think I could probably work on my mindset, but I just don't know where to begin with that. Yeah, I think it's just taking a pulse. You know, at the time of this recording, we're kind of going through a pandemic and a a world crisis. And my friend Todd Herman actually did a really good study just not that long ago about he interviewed 30 or 40 CEOs and big CEOs from big companies. And he he classified these CEOs into three categories. There was like fear-based, there's something else and something else. But anyways, the whole point was that the CEOs that were the most successful in the mindset and transitioning their companies through this and planning through this time of crisis were those that remained calm and they all meditated. Every single one of them had some sort of mindful practice. And it's easy to do. And we have to think about meditation in terms of it not necessarily being sitting down on a blanket or a chair or a pillow and turning off our mind for an hour. We have different forms of meditation. For me, it's going to CrossFit or running because the only thing I'm thinking about is how much pain I'm in (laughs) physically, but Mm -hmm. it actually resets my mind. So it's like, what are the things that you can do in the day to actually calm the mind? And if there's ever a moment when you're like, you just need to think or vent or shout or scream, then do that too. Because the reason why women get over heartache and heartbreak faster than men is because they don't bottle it up. Women let it all out. They download their crap all the time. And I think it's okay and it's super healthy to do that. So Mm -hmm. find your meditation and mindset practice that works for you and do that. But do something. The other thing that feeds the positive mindset, and I can't stress this enough, is a healthy lifestyle. It's getting enough sleep, drinking enough water, eating well, exercise, and minimizing things like alcohol (laughs) because alcohol is a depressant. I can Mm -hmm. tell you the most productive and happiest I've been is when I have like my health some point, 100%. Mm -hmm. 
So you can't necessarily have a a good mindset if you're super unhealthy or there's there's other things going on. So, you know, pay attention to your body, pay attention to, you know, your environment too. So your environment actually sets you up for success or not. And the people you surround yourself with, you're the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. So are those people helping you or are they stopping you? If they're stopping you and they happen to be like your husband or your best friend, it's like have the conversation about it. But then find another group of people that are going to support you. And it's okay. You can still be married to that guy and still have those friends, but she ain't going to talk shop to those people. Mm-hmm. So get a good network. Set yourself up at your home office or wherever you're working from for success. This has to be a place of inspiration. You have to walk mm-hmm. into that room wherever it is you're doing your work and you have to feel like you are going to roar. You are the queen of the world. You're going to get your stuff done and it's going to be the best. It's health, physically and mental. It's surrounding yourself with the right people and setting up a great environment for success. Mm-hmm. I love that advice so much. It makes so much sense, all of it. I have a bath every single night of my life. And this, I, I was never able to really do um, meditation. I find the idea of sitting still and quieting my thoughts, it just felt like such a, a hurdle. And every time I sat down to try to do it, even with guided meditation, and I used to be an occupational therapist, like I used to do this with people. And <laughs> I just can't, I just can't do it. It feels too, and, and I was almost getting anxious about thinking about doing it. So my version of that is either get in the bathtub, because that's a place where as a mother as well, I can close the door and lock it. And it's sort of that acceptable you know, social cue that I'm going to be alone in here for 45 minutes or taking a drive and listening to a podcast, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So just in Mm -hmm. case the word meditation freaks out any listeners, it doesn't mean that you need to sit down with your legs crossed and in a quiet place. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) It can be just about anything. So, okay. I want to know how you, Renee, keep your ideas and goals fresh. Do you have any magic tricks for staying inspired as an entrepreneur? Yeah, I have way too many ideas. And I I actually could use the advice on how to track. I have a million note. I love notebooks. I just, I love, I don't know why. I'm just actually looking at the five that are sitting on my desk right now. I have a problem. But I get my best ideas in two places, actually three places. First one's in the shower. How cliche is that? But there's actually some science behind that. And I get my second best ideas actually lying in bed in the morning with my husband. And we're just chatting. He's a business guy, so we just get it. And then the other one is uh, working out, going for okay, a run, CrossFit. I have to know what the science is behind ideas in the shower because I get those too. Well, I I know what it is. We all have our own little routines we do in the shower. You know, we wash our face first and then our hair and then whatever it is. But because mm-hmm. it is so automatic, it's mundane it's a specific amount of time. We'll say it's about like, we'll say average just eight minutes, okay? But in those eight minutes, you're kind of on autopilot focusing on, you know, washing your hair, but you're also thinking. It's, it's actually like super meditative because there's nothing else to really worry about and you're relaxed, you're calm, you're alone, you're in a quiet space. It's where ideas happen. And that's why for me also working out, it's like if I'm going on a 10K run and I'm going to be gone for an hour, yes, I listen to podcasts, but you know, realistically at the end of it, I'm just like thoughts. It's just thoughts. I could turn everything off and just think those mundane parts of your day. 
you just are creative. And the thing too, like most people take showers in the morning. So when they're kind of just waking up and they're refreshed and there's there's not much on the go yet. But yeah, I mean, the, the actual science about it, I don't know. I could find that for you if you want. <laughs> It is no secret at all that I love to shop. When I find something I love, I buy it in every color and I live in it. Generally speaking, I dress for casual style and comfort, but I also invest in pieces that go with everything else in my closet. I guess I'm a lover of leverageability in all areas of life. I get asked a lot where I got my clothing items and I try to tag these products as I post them online. But for those of you that want to get a better look at what I'm adding to my capsule each season, head to kellylawson.ca slash mystyle. I'll add the latest and greatest fashion items as I find them and link to the best deals I can find. So make sure you check in regularly and happy shopping workshop warriors. But there is another thing I wanted to dive in a little bit more deeply. You talked earlier about saturated markets and about, you know, being maybe a little intimidated to start because there are already so many people doing the thing that maybe you're thinking about launching or doing. And I was wondering if you had a piece of advice for someone who's trying to stand out in a saturated industry and what what would that piece of advice be? Just do something differently. So mm-hmm. one of my coaching clients is a woman who runs a oil change company. People go in, they get their oil changed in their cars. I'm like, oh, hey, that's, you know, it's a needed industry. It's boring. And you're a woman. So that's kind of interesting. So we've actually just started working on this project together. But the whole idea is like, how can you be different? So, you know, the end product is somebody wants an affordable oil change. Like, Hands down, that's what it is. But they also want to know that it's someone they trust that's going to do a good job, isn't going to rip them off or break anything. (laughs) And they're going to do it in the time they said they're going to do it. But what more in the experience can be changed? So is it having, you know, more coffee in the waiting room? Is it different magazines? Like whatever it is. So look at what the average person experiences working with you or within that industry. And it doesn't take much but make the experience better. So people don't necessarily remember what it is that you said. They don't remember what you do. They remember how you made them feel. So just remember that. It's how you're going to make them feel after working with you or buying your product or service. Mm, I love that. Love on your customers. People love on them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Here's my last question that I want to ask you. I want to know what is one action that listeners can take today, like as soon as they stop listening to us talking, what is the one thing that they can do to move their business forward like today? Reach out to three to five people and offer your product or service. I love it. It's really that simple. It's like diving in your DMs. It's going on Instagram, taking like... Instagram story. Every single time I'm like, hey guys, I'm recording a podcast for my uh, wild Into the Wild podcast and I want to talk to female entrepreneurs. If you're interested, DM me. Boom, it blows up. I get five people are like, yes, me, 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 me. So yeah, and we talked about this earlier. It's like you have to put yourself out there and that's really hard for a lot of people. But the more you do it, the more people will pay attention and you have to do it often. People need to hear from you. What is it like 24 times now because there's so much content going on. So if you put something out there once, that's great, but you have to keep pushing it. So in your instance, the one thing that people can do is to reach out to three to five people right now. If it's an email, whatever, it could be, you're just launching a new business. You say, Hey, Kelly, it's Renee. 
quick update on my end. I'm not doing this anymore. I've launched We Wild Women. I want to let you know if there's anything I can do to help you with your business or if you know somebody that could use this help, then just you know, let me know. That is it. It doesn't have to be long or pushy. It's kind of like a, a memo, right? A 411. Hey, this is happening in my life. Two things happen there is obviously they're like, oh, this is cool. Maybe I do need that. So maybe they will buy from you. But people love that they're being connected with one-on-one. Mm-hmm. So I think back to my time running a PR agency, journalists, they love the one-on-one, the super intimate, private to them emails. And really it's that simple. And if you could do that you know, a couple times a week where you're reaching out to three to five people a day, then things spiral. It's, it's snowball. It's like, unfortunately, it's like spreading like a virus, right? That's how your network grows. And the more value you can provide, the more you get in return. Mm-hmm. And it's like the silver lining of not having a huge customer base or a huge following online. The silver lining is like amazing. Think of how you can delight and treat those few people that you have like in a way that people with a bigger following or a bigger customer base could not. So it's like that silver lining. Mm-hmm. I love it. Renee, I am so appreciative of you and of our friendship and of all the things that I've learned from you over the years and that you've taken the time to chat with us today and share your expertise and wisdom. I feel like we could go on and on and on and talk for like six days, but I'm pretty sure that people would um, maybe have other things to do so they wouldn't listen that long. (laughs) So anyway, maybe we'll do a follow-up show someday. But in the meantime, can you share with the listeners how they can get in touch with you or how they can find your resources? Yeah, they can go to my website, wewildwomen.com. So women is W-O-M-E-N, multiple women, because we're all wild. (laughs) So wewildwomen.com. Or they can find me on Instagram, Renee underscore Warren. All right. I love it. Well, thank you again so much, Renee. I just love everything that we talked about. And I can't wait to come over and be on your podcast too. So we'll do that soon. (laughs) Thanks for having me. You guys, my neck is sore from nodding at everything that Renee had to share with us today. These tips for starting a business the right way are game-changing, whether you are new to the land of entrepreneurship or even if you've been at it for a while, it is certainly never too late to get things on the right track. Don't forget to grab your free workbook so that you can have a little help doing the work and get that much closer to getting your business on the success bus by visiting the show notes at kellylawson.ca slash 005. And if you love these shows, please consider sharing it with your friends and leave a review on iTunes. These two actions are immensely helpful in ensuring that I can continue to bring this content to your earbuds every week. Until next week, please don't hold back on bringing your business idea or your offer to the world. There is only one of you and I just get so jazzed up when I see you showing up confidently and with your full potential. Until next week, Workshop Warrior, bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Workshop Weekly Podcast, the show where no dream is too big and no topic is too small. If you like our show and want to know more, check out www.theworkshopweekly.com or leave a review on iTunes. And we'll see you next week for another action-packed episode, you workshop warrior you.